0: And welcome to Awesome Etiquette,
1: where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty.
0: On today's show, we take your questions on embracing elopements, listing former family in an obituary, pouncing on mispronunciation, and what to do when all the birthdays in your family happen close together. Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a Postscript segment on preparing kids for being a house guest.
1: Maybe it's really about preparing parents.
0: For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, your extra question of the week is about handling an awkward request for monetary contributions.
1: All that's coming up.
0: Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont, by the Emily Post Institute.
1: I'm Lizzie Post.
0: And I'm Dan Post-Senning.
1: I'm like one giant loser of a carb lately. One giant carb? <laughs> no, I said loser of a carb. Loser, loser. So you're losing carbs? I no, I lost it. Friends Trivia Night, which just so you know, for the amount of friends that I have watched and listened to and had on the background throughout all of my years of, of living, it really shouldn't have happened. I should have known things like who wrote the theme song and I should have known things like, like. Well, I can't even remember the things I've forgotten now. (laughs) But it was so sad. I was so excited to do Friends Trivia with a friend of mine who's a huge Friends nut, and we lost.
0: My whole world is shifting right now because when I heard Friends Trivia Night, I thought you were doing general trivia with with friends.
1: Friends. I know. It'd be nice if I had that many, but no. (laughs) This is the
0: show, Friends, which is streaming on Netflix all the episodes. All the
1: time. Yeah, no. And uh, I have a number of friends who also loved the show Friends and also stream it as like background noise in their house the way some people play podcasts and so it was just really funny to get up there and actually see like the stuff you didn't know you know you're like wait a minute I know that I know I can hear it and it was so all the different tables you could hear people saying things in the character voices like could that be any hotter like whatever it is that like is Chandler or
0: Phoebe or there's a song about a cat right
1: oh smelly cat man smelly cat I don't think was even an answer. That would have been like too easy.
0: So you're talking to somebody who's probably capable of counting the number of full episodes of Friends he's seen on one hand. Just go.
1: you Cultural (laughs) abomination. Leave. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I know. It's
0: a gap. It's a gap in my cultural literacy. but I'm good at trivia. I like (laughs) trivia. Give me a good game of Trivial Pursuit. I'll play all night.
1: Dan's like, we could do history trivia and everyone else at the party groans. (laughs) Then they're like, Game of Thrones trivia and people like, you know, break out their swords. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> that i could do.
1: Okay, so that's next week. So if Monday night next week you it's and Pooch Oh my gosh, no, not the show, like the trivia night. You should come to a Game of Thrones trivia night. That's next Monday at Reroll, by the way.
0: That would be very cool. I
1: think you and Pooch would do a good job.
0: I can't stay out past 8.
1: My problem is that I can't get the names of everyone in Game of Thrones, so it's like Wait, no, it's just the guy that's kind of good looking and then, you know, the girl who did this thing that one time. That's my version of talking Game of Thrones with people.
0: (laughs) My wife turned into a Game of Thrones nerd. I never thought it would happen, but now she can break it down and we we get right into it. I
1: think you guys should come and play and be on a team. It'd be fun.
0: But does it go past eight?
1: I'm just going to pretend I didn't hear that.
0: (laughs) All right. Game of Thrones trivia next week, but... Right now, we have some questions to get to. We
1: absolutely do, and I guarantee they are not about to show friends. Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave and if you have a question for us please, please, please email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com Leave us a voicemail or text message at 802-858-KIND That's 802-858-5463 Find us on Twitter and Facebook Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show and sustaining members Come on guys, send us your questions and put sustaining member in your message. We want to hear from you. Your questions get answered from a smaller pool. Awesome Etiquette gets support from Storyworth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear jerking to plot twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy.
0: Our first question is about, eek, elopement. Dear Lizzie and Dan, thank you for your thoughtful and fun podcast. I'm recently engaged and need your sage advice. My fiancé and I have always planned to elope. We're both private people, and our families' past behavior has suggested that our celebration would become less about us and more about other individuals. Pre-engagement, I had casually mentioned that we'd probably have a private wedding. However, within 12 hours of telling my sister of our engagement, she told me that she had better be invited. Yikes. In general, I'm trying to be polite and keep things light. But it seems that whenever we tell anyone, the first question is, when, where are you getting married? I've probably asked this of others, too. It's a natural question. Could you please provide me with some sample scripts for when people ask about the date? When it comes to family members inquiring about a date, likely because they assume we'll have a wedding, would you suggest that we keep avoiding the question? I don't want to offend anyone, but we are very firm in our decision regarding not having a wedding. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. Thanks so much. Kind regards. Introverted Bride.
1: Introverted Bride, if you and your sweetheart are set for sure, no way changing it, not even a sliver of a doubt, then it's time to share the news. I think that if you... Like, a lot of couples go through this where they fantasize about an elopement. Dan did it at one point, and I almost killed him. Like, like, I, just like the okay, sister. we
0: didn't say elopement. We said very small yeah, ceremony. Yeah, with just
1: your immediate families, who your cousin who you work with every single day would be excluded from. Because, you know, Dan's wedding is totally about me and me participating in it. Goodness, no. It was It was one of those things where I would have been really sad to not be there to witness it. But if it's your choice, it's your choice. I think it's time for you guys, if, if you're really set on this, to stand firm. So when someone says, oh my gosh, congratulations, I'm so excited. You guys are going to have the best wedding ever. When and where are you thinking? You can just take a deep breath and say, oh, thank you. We're really excited about tying the knot. It's always been our dream to elope. So when we're ready, we're going to pick the day and then send out pictures after. But Match their level of enthusiasm. Why not? Right? Like, don't live in shame over this elopement. Do not let this be other people's problem coming back on you. This is what you want. I say, you know, do what works for you and do it with excitement and enthusiasm and sympathy because people are going to be sad. So you put out all that excitement, and then your sister says, I can't believe you do that. I can't believe you wouldn't let us share the most important moment in your life. You say, I know that's really hard. I know that's going to be really hard. But you know what? We're all going to be together for the rest of our lives. And that's the great part. Right. I mean, do you think what do you think?
0: I'm loving these sample scripts and I'm loving the idea of matching the the tone and enthusiasm that someone else is bringing to the conversation.
1: It's so hard to then be a jerk to that person who's like, I'm so excited about getting eloped.
0: I'm also (laughs) loving your preparation for the range of emotional reactions that you could get. You (laughs) might get disappointment. You might get surprise. You might get. Disappointment disguised as anger or disappointment that's being expressed as anger and being ready to take that in, be present with it, and also not escalate your response at that moment emotionally also, but to be sympathetic, to be understanding, to absorb it in some way mm-hmm. so that you can diffuse it. Mm-hmm. And I think that preparation is going to help with that because that's not an easy job. That's And, it, and it, this is a personal choice. You do get to make it. But people are going to have their own emotional reactions and responses to that. So being prepared for that is probably an important part of your strategy.
1: I've got to be honest. I wish more people could embrace elopement as a positive and, and still shareable experience. Your parents didn't exactly elope, but they got married, just the two of them, down at the courthouse. You've heard us tell this story before many times. And then they went on their traveling reception where they went and visited people and said hello and did all that. And so there's lots of ways even with an elopement to include people and, and share that experience. There's no reason why you can't snap a photo. I honestly, one of the sweetest things that I remember is my friend Kate and her now husband, Tony, they were thinking about getting married. They were ready to plan a big wedding. That's actually when I met her in life. And the next thing I knew, I got like five months later, six months later, I got a photo of and this is going to sound a little strange but it makes sense in a minute of it was kind of like of the the lower half of like her thigh and the dress covering it so i could see i could see dress pattern and a little bit of knee and some car seat and that was all the photo was and i was like what is this and she sent me a text message it said on our way to say i do and it was just like oh my gosh i got included In this little secret moment in her life that was so special to me. And I think about it all the time where I'm like, it made me feel a part of something that... I, I just never would have been a part of in any other way. So you might consider doing some things like like for your sister who really wants to be there. You might make sure she gets a little photo like that ahead of time or a little heads up about it. Or maybe she and your mother get the first two photos that you send to anybody about it. And there are little ways to make things like that special within a family.
0: Get creative with it. Yeah. Make that sharing of the news, something special and something unique to your unique experience. And there there are no rules about it. In that rolling reception that my parents had after they got married by a justice of the peace, one of the things that they chose to do was to call my father's father, my grandfather on the sending side first. He had had a stroke when my father was young and was in a nursing home and was always the last one to hear oh. news and didn't get to attend a lot of family events like weddings so they were able to they were able to let him be the first to know and that was something that was really special for him and was unique to their wedding experience and ended up being a really significant moment in the family.
1: See, it can it, it can work. It can be shareable. It can be positive. I've heard of others who aren't as a fan. I a friend of mine that I golf with said that his brother got married and just sent everyone a text message, and he really didn't appreciate that. He said, we are family. Um, so what I might not do is I might not send the text to the closest people, or, you know, like we did just suggest sending a text to the sister. But it's all in how you do it. It's going to make a really big, big difference. And so, for that particular friend, he probably would have appreciated a phone call more, maybe even a FaceTime just after the or or other form of video communication um, after the the ceremony or something like that. It might have felt more personal than a text message to the family.
0: If it's something that you're interested in and are willing to do, I don't know exactly how these family relationships are at play here suggesting a smaller gathering or even just a little personal dinner party with some of the important players where you can celebrate and say those things that people want to say to each other at important moments in life. I think that's another nice way to meet people halfway and find some common ground that'll let other people share their excitement for you also.
1: And I think much like Not wanting all the details of a wedding to have to be a part of your life. Remember that this party, there are no gifts. You don't have to worry about creating a registry. Like, there's, it's it's different when you're in this stage of we've eloped and then we're having a party afterwards or a small dinner get-together afterwards. Introverted bride, earlier I made the mistake of saying, you're getting eloped instead of getting married. Congratulations on your upcoming marriage. Willie Lope,
2: honey. But, Larry, I wanted a church wedding. And all the parties and showers for me, too. And my folks, that would break Mom's heart. Well, we're the ones that are getting married, not your folks. I don't know, Larry.
0: Our next question is about former family.
1: Hi. I'm writing an obituary for a friend. One of her sons is divorced, but she would still like to include her former daughter-in-law's name in the obituary, especially since they had two children. How can I do this tactfully? I will say I feel like we're missing a little bit of information here. I'm not sure if it is the son who has passed away and you're writing or if the friend has passed or maybe if the friend's spouse has passed. And so there are a couple different ways that this could be interpreted. Just wanted to clarify that before we get into an answer.
0: While there are a couple ways we could interpret the question, there is some etiquette advice here that I think would apply in either circumstance. I want to start off, though, by just applauding you for helping out. This can be a really tricky time for people. And writing an obituary is such a public expression, and it's an important way to remember someone, to memorialize someone in some ways, and also to share the news of their passing as well as news about their life. In terms of the language that I would use to acknowledge a divorced spouse, I think former wife is the the construction that I would use. What I would be trying to avoid is the term ex-wife.
1: Yes, correct. You could also do first wife.
0: Or first wife. These are the things that you can say that Don't make it sound like quite such a negative while still acknowledging the situation. You can also mention a mother of their two children. This way you've acknowledged the importance of the relationship, how it's ongoing, the role that this person continues to play. And at the same time, you haven't named that person as a current spouse, which is something that someone could assume if you just said mother of the two children and didn't mention the spousal status.
1: I think it's really great that you are taking the time to ask this question, but also that your friend has directed that she would like the son's first wife included. I think that it's really nice when you are getting that help from friends and family to write things like an obituary, to be clear about your wishes and your intentions. And in order to to get that name in there, there's a couple different ways you could do it. Often it's said, is survived by, and then the whole list of the family. Let's say if the son hasn't remarried or doesn't have a current partner in life, then you could say so-and-so's son Alberto, his former wife Mai, and their two children, Hendrix and Brady. Or if he's remarried, you might say son Alberto and his wife Cameron – Alberto's sons, Hendrix and Brady, along with their mother, Mai. That's my preference for language. Along with with their mother. That way we're identifying current wife as a partner with the son. We're identifying the children. Because this is a list of he leaves behind or she leaves behind or they leave behind. Sometimes the leave behind the language there is changed, but you then have this long list of all the family members. And so another way you might say it, I I don't know if you would say this. This one sounds like too much to me. Alberto and his second wife, Cameron, and his children, Hendrix and Brady, from his first marriage to Mai. And I feel like that is too much explanation. It's like you're really laying it out for people. But it feels like too much. Do you think it feels like too much? Is it too explicit?
0: The more I think about it, the more I like Alberto and his wife, Cameron, Alberto's son, Hendrix and Brady, along with their mother, Mai. To me, that's elegant, it's clear, and it puts everybody in a really positive light.
1: I think so, too. Anonymous, we hope this helps, and we hope that this family finds a lot of comfort during this time of grieving. next question is titled, Pouncing on Mispronouncing.
0: Hey, Dan and Lizzie, I love your podcast. My question is, is it ever appropriate to correct someone who mispronounces a word? How do you suggest going about this? I've always refrained because I don't want to call the person out, but I would want someone to let me know if I were mispronouncing something. What if it's someone's name? Thanks for your help, Brittany.
1: This is a tough one because you don't really correct others in front of people and you always sound like a jerk when you correct people's you pronunciation. You do run the risk of sounding like, like a real no jerk. No matter what, it's like such a close relationship that can handle that. I will not say which family members pronounce the word often with a T in it because it has a T in it, but it drives other certain family members nuts. And neither of these people are Dan nor myself, but they are within our family and I will keep them silent. But I hear the one who doesn't like how the one uses the T say, oh man, that person just always does, it grates my gear, you know, You sound like a pompous jerk most of the time when you do it. Actually, it's pronounced. Um, Did you actually know that it's da-da-da? I still maintain that the easiest way to alert people to mispronunciations that they do on a regular basis is to do it as a group discussion about common things that are mispronounced. That's like the only way I have ever seen that conversation get picked up by the person it was intended for without sounding yucky from the person who wanted to put it out there.
0: I agree a thousand percent from an (laughs) etiquette perspective. Calling someone out about something in front of others can be so embarrassing, can be so awkward for that person and also for the person who's doing it. I think oftentimes that is an untold part of this story. Totally. Having said all that, mm-hmm. I also have to say you and I do this to each other all the time, and I wouldn't we even do. say two; I would say four. Yeah, because we're I really on the
1: mic and ask for it from each other for sure.
0: I appreciate it so much. If I mispronounce something, I want to know. I want to get it right. I don't want to sound like I don't know how to say the words that I'm using, and I even I want to give so much credit to people who mispronounce <laughs> things. I think sometimes. <laughs> It comes from a place of being really smart and interested. I, I think one of the most common examples of it is people who read words a lot but don't hear them said out loud.
1: Like Catastrophe? So you read a <laughs> word and you
0: read a word and you read a word and it, it in your mind goes a certain way and then you hear it pronounced. And so often it is names. We're going to get to names in a second.
1: Cacophony? Cacophony? That was
0: what I thought it was. Proust? Proust?
1: <laughs> it's like I mean, it's, there's a lot of them out there.
0: And... I like it when people take chances, when people are using words that they understand the meaning of because they've read them, but they yeah. just haven't necessarily been in discussions where those words have been heard. spoken or heard. Mm-hmm. So I want there to be some room for us to help each other out with this and not feel bad about it if we mispronounce something, if we take that chance.
1: You end up having certain people in your life that you give permission to to correct you on things and that you often then – Dan and I have it with coffee breath – and that old closet smell or old drawer smell that clothes can get – and and hairs like if there's a hair sticking out somewhere that's noticeable man tell me like or I tell Dan there are just all these little things that you and I have given each other over the years permission to correct each other on or take notice of and it's really great to establish those relationships with people. It won't always just be your, you know, your intimate partner. It won't always just be your kid or your best friend. It might be other people in your life. But I say establish those relationships, but don't bring that corrective nature elsewhere. It's really hard, especially if you are someone who focuses on language a lot for their work. Dan and I both being writers, that that is a part of what we do. But it can be really automatic and you might find yourself just simply in the moment blurting out an autocorrect to someone, apologize for having done so. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to just totally correct your pronunciation or I'm so sorry. I try not to correct people. I'm so sorry. But I think that's better and I, I get the helpfulness of it. I do. I also think it's just like you're policing the world a little bit when you when you do that and there's a goodness to it and there's also an awkwardness to it.
0: If you want to do it well, do it in private. If there is something that's happening repeatedly, if you hear someone saying something again and again and again, or even just a couple of times, then you might, when you've got a quiet moment or a private moment, say, there's something I noticed I just wanted to mention. I hope you don't mind. Acknowledge the imposition or the liberty that you're taking and then offer the correction the same way you would tell someone if they've got a piece of spinach on their tooth. If you're helping them avoid... Further embarrassment or awkwardness down the line, I think you have a little bit more play. But doing it in front of other people, not letting a one-time slip go, are examples where I would say, no, that's really up to you to to, to let it be. It's harder to talk about the etiquette of the person who's mispronounced something because usually they don't know they've done it. So it's, it's not a, a self-correction that someone can make. When you're talking about names... I think that you want to err a little more on the side of being sure that someone gets that correction. Names are so important to people. And again, you want to have those etiquette considerations in mind. You don't want to correct in front of others if you can help it. But sometimes getting a name right is easier if you address it more quickly, if you address it when someone's still making that first impression, when they're still trying to register and lock in the name. So... I think that's one where you might err more towards the side of making the correction or finding a way to talk to the person in private or shortly afterwards so that you can make that correction in a way that's not embarrassing or awkward. But give them the information they need to say that name well to say it correctly the next time.
1: Names aside, if it comes to words, when you do go to correct someone, make sure you are right before you jump on the correcting wagon.
0: This was a topic in Emily Post's first book of etiquette in 1922, and I'm sure it's something that we are going to continue to both think and talk about. Thank you for the chance, Brittany.
2: Do you think you can be happy about rules now? Sure! As long as we remember that rules are to make things better for everybody. Yeah!
0: Our next question is about having all the birthdays at once. Hello, I have three kids within four years of each other. Their birthdays are all within three weeks of each other. Are combined parties okay? What's the etiquette here? Thank you. Love the show. Emily.
1: This is a great question and i could I could imagine from a parental perspective that you're dealing with finances and time and energy, and it's just a whole lot of birthday hoopla week after week after week. But I think that even with all of that, the real the crux of etiquette here for me lies with the honorees and whether they wish to have shared birthday parties or not and you can argue with me all you want about being their parents and making the decisions but I think that kids' birthdays are special and I think it's a, a day that we as a culture have chosen to make special and recognize as special, and therefore I think they should be separate unless the kids think that a big combined party would be a lot of fun. But you're dealing with, I don't, you know, the ages, they're within four years of each other, so we have we have somewhat similar friend groups, but not all the same friends. They probably have different tastes and styles, and I think that, you know— Parents could absolutely make a party that works for all, but I would only do it if all three kids are on board. That's the only way I would go about doing that. If it's about finance, if it's about stress, then you just keep the party simpler for the kids, I think. And I think that's not always what everyone wants to hear. It's not the exciting thing. It's not the thing that makes for, like... Mind-blowing kid memories, but I do think that it makes for a special day celebrating that particular child and allowing their friends and for it to really be about them. But again, if the kids want the three all combined, I say go for
0: it. I like the etiquette perspective where you're thinking about the honoree. Yeah, What's going to make it special for the person who the party's really for? And you've got all those practical concerns, but really letting that that primary focus of making the guest of honor feel honored in this case, the birthday boy or girl, should drive your decision-making about the rest of the party to as, as great an extent as humanly possible. And that doesn't mean that it might not be that person's favorite thing to share this day, to have a big party with all the brothers and sisters. And, and you might have some different feelings on different sides of the sibling equation. And really trying to parse that out is one of the difficult jobs that you as a parent might be facing in this Can't situation you just picture
1: the youngest being yes. like that would be amazing and the oldest being like oh my gosh no <laughs> like,
0: there might be other ways to honor that older sibling there might be other things that you can do to make that day special you might still have that combined party but i, I just love that focus on yeah. focusing on each of the birthday boys and girls in a way that really does make them feel honored and recognized and celebrated as you probably know if you've been listening to this show for the last couple weeks, in the Sending House, we do big combined birthday parties. Yes,
1: definitely. We
0: do cross-generation combined birthday parties, grandparents and aunts and uncles and children. It's definitely something we do and we enjoy, but I really do like this idea of letting the person who the party's for be part of that decision-making process. Emily, we hope this helps and that everyone has a great time, whatever you decide to do.
1: Happy birthdays!
0: Now, let's think back. What made
2: this party such a good one? What do we want to do next time? Make sure the party is fun for everyone. And when you're invited to a party, practice the skills of a good guest. Be on time, ready for fun. Take part in the party. Help everyone around you to have a good time.
0: Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach out via Twitter, where we're at emilypostins, or on Facebook, where we're awesomeetiquette. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette in your post so that we know you want your question on the show.
1: Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And our first piece of feedback comes from Gabby's sister-in-law.
0: Dear Dan and Lizzie, I laughed while listening in episode 230 to the question and your answer about wearing the same dress in two weddings. Many years ago, when my sister-in-law and I were in our early 20s, we married in two different ceremonies, which were very close together in time. We both had very small weddings and were each other's Maid of Honor. She married first, and I wore a very pretty peach-colored dress in her wedding. During the planning for my wedding, she asked to wear the same dress in my wedding as it would work best within her budget. I was delighted with her request, and we have family pictures of two different weddings with the same Maid of Honor dress and many years of laughter and loving retelling of the dress we both wore. I echo Lizzie's sentiment and say, go for it. Ask the brides. They both seem like they are already thinking about what would work best for their attendance. You may find you have your own good story retold many times over with the wearing of the one dress. Best regards, Gabby's sister-in-law. And happy bride. <laughs> right,
1: right. Our next piece of feedback comes in regards to the question that we answered about the teachers who were gossiping about students in the lunchroom. Dear Lizzie Post and Daniel Post-Senning, thank you so much for your no-holds-barred take on the teacher who was overhearing disparaging conversations about students at the teacher's table in the lunchroom, especially Lizzie with her emotional but fact-based plea from experience. You see, I was that kid. The one already so shy that answering a normal question in the classroom could make her cry. The one who tried to be perfect so that no one would make fun of her, and who went through school filled with fear someone would think poorly of her. And the one who overheard teachers talking about her in a way closer to mean gossip than helpful conversation. It happened twice. Once walking past a teacher's lounge with an open door in the sixth grade, and once as a teacher spoke too loudly to another parent in a hallway, high school. These times broke me. They were as painful as you said they could be. They cut deep even now, as my own children begin their early college years. Even as I am no longer the same person, and what they mocked no longer applies to who I am. Thank you for standing so firm and for putting a child's mental safety above the etiquette of not correcting others. To C.C., the original question writer, please take the advice to go to administration. As I said, I am also an introvert and understand the fortitude it will take to bring change. I know it might make your stomach hurt and give you anxiety, but I believe in you. I believe you can keep some other kid from the nausea and anxiety I felt for years after those incidents. I wish you strength and grace as you work to help children. With deep gratitude, Katie.
0: Katie, I want to second your feedback. When we were doing that question, I was also inspired by my cousin's emotional response to that question and the perspective that she shared. Thank you for reminding me about it.
1: And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to Awesome Etiquette, that's Etiquette, E-T-I-Q-U-E-T-T-E, at emilypost.com, or leave us a voicemail or text message at 802-858-KIND, that's 802-858-5463.
0: It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript is inspired by an experience I had last weekend.
1: Oh, yes!
0: (laughs) Pooja and Anisha and I were visiting Pooja's parents and had a remarkable visit. We had a lot of fun. And one of the things that was a real pleasure for me was watching Anisha's grandparents, Kamal and Alka, respond to her and interact with her. And they see her not as frequently as my parents who live next door, but pretty frequently. We, we make an effort to connect about every month or two, but they get to see some of her jumps in terms of her development. So it's like I get to see her fresh through new eyes and eyes that are caring and loving. So I really look forward to these experiences. One of the things that Kummel said to me at one point during the weekend was how much he appreciated the way that Anisha was so polite, the way that she would say please or thank you or excuse me if she was interrupting someone. And sometimes there was a little gentle reminder that would get her to engage with these words. But the thing that it got me thinking about was the the core concepts that she was really learning as she learned how to say these things. And It made me think about how fundamentally important etiquette is for children, that you're not just teaching them the form of good behavior, but that it really teaches them some fundamentally important values and skills and ways of being. It made me think about a list of things that you might do in preparing kids for visits or for being house guests and how these teach fundamental skills and how it's more than that how doing the kind of preparation work that you do when you're teaching kids is setting them up for success through all stages of their life and can also make a visit a really pleasant experience so let's take a look at a set of tips that are good for kids of any age, whether they're 2 or 14, when you're preparing to be a house guest to go on an extended visit with friends and family. One of the first things that I like to think about is planning ahead. Making sure that you've got the right supplies, that you're well-equipped, and that you can minimize the impact or the number of asks that you're going to be making of your host in a given situation.
1: How far do you take that? I mean, do you guys like – and I know for some kids, especially kids with allergies or maybe really picky eaters, you might – Take it as far as really bringing all the food that they'd need for the weekend, or how how much do you bring your whole life of what Anisha is used to, or any child is used to, with you when you go? And as kids get older, it's not as big a deal, but... I remember one summer family friends we were we were hanging out with them and they were saying how much they loved having their daughter and their son-in-law visit for a month but that they really did not love the fact that their house had literally turned into the daughter and the son-in-law's home. So how do you kind of manage how much of her comfort zone and and things that you bring?
0: thinking about that language of minimizing impact, Mm -hmm. that I want to bring enough so that I'm not making extra demands on someone's time Mm -hmm. or resources, but also not bringing so much that, like you say, you end up setting up camp or becoming in a position just with the amount of gear that you're lugging through someone's front door. So... For a toddler or a baby, that's the diaper supplies I was and say, the big bedding, one. <laughs> um, the food, <laughs> a pack and play crib. The food, I start to broaden out because I think that whether you're talking about the baby food for a baby mm-hmm. or the allergy specific food for someone who has an allergy or the snacks that are the preferred snacks for an elementary school or teenager, mm-hmm. I think that you might have some supplies that deliver some creature comfort, make it easier to navigate that time between meals. And it doesn't need to be a burden. I think that you can have a knapsack with Kind Bars and you can have enough... Not
1: sponsoring the show. <laughs> ...formula
0: to get through a weekend, and that yeah, can yeah. be a part of your planning.
1: And, and, and formula, breast milk, that kind of stuff is pretty obvious. you got to bring bring what you got. But you're right that it's kind of this fine line between how much do you know, for instance, in your case, it was grandma and grandpa this weekend, how much do you know that they'll have on hand... How much are you not expecting? Don't forget, you can always pick up the phone and call and ask, hey, should we bring down the this is and the that's? But like, you know, and having that conversation will help you know. But yeah, I think when you show up with maybe the pack and play, as well as like five other kind of toy sets, to, <laughs> that you start to, it starts branching out into the too much category.
0: <laughs> I wouldn't assume that you have space in the refrigerator. If you're going to be taking up refrigerator space, I think that's something you want to ask about ahead of time. Agreed. I don't think you need a lot of toys, but having some things that people like to play with, I think for older kids, that's a couple books that they can read. If they've got their own Kindle or iPad, bring that along. But be sure you have headphones so that it's not something that's playing loudly in the house. Come prepared. Mm -hmm. Next thing is that you want to prepare for the greet. You want to prepare for the arrival. You want to prepare to say hi, look someone in the eye, smile, say how good it is to see them, say their name. People like to hear their name. Hi, grandma, grandpa, whatever it is, Gaga. No, me. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: You know, the other thing with Prepare to Greet that my parents were really great about with us when we go down to visit my mom's family in New Jersey was... What's the scene you're going to walk into? Because often there would already be other cousins who were there. Sometimes they would be in the middle of dinner when we arrived. And it was really helpful when my parents kind of found out what the the, the lay of the hour was that we were actually arriving at. And then could prepare us like, oh, well, they've just finished dinner. So we're going to eat ours quickly and join them for dessert. Or everyone's going to be watching a movie. So you guys just go right in and, and you know, say hi to grandma. But then we'll kind of we'll do bigger hellos in the morning or something. Thing like that.
0: Part of that greet, as you point out, isn't just the, the moment of arrival, the hi, it's so good to see you. I've been traveling all day. It's really great to finally be here, whatever it is. Right. But how that moment of introduction turns into time spent together. And talking to kids ahead of time about what the expectations are that you actually spend time with the people that you're there to visit Mm -hmm. is, I think, an important discussion to have. And whether that's setting boundaries with a teenager about how much time they're going to spend on their phone or whether it's talking to a younger child about how much their grandparents are looking forward to seeing them and how excited we all are to spend some time together and just (laughs) building up some emotional readiness Mm -hmm. to be present with those people who – Maybe aren't people they're as familiar with, I think, is an important part of that preparation and equips them well to – I don't just want to say perform because it's not just a performance, but to perform well in those moments and in those social interactions that are going to follow.
1: Well, and to have the confidence. I mean, kids feel great when they kind of know what to expect and know what's going on. So – you know, you, you try not to promise things that may happen, instead only promise things that you're definitely going to get to go do. Or, you know, if something is weather contingent, then you want to be explaining that to a five, six, seven, eight year old as opposed to just saying it's definitely going to happen.
0: <laughs> those activities, those things that you're going to do together are part of that social interaction and how that social interaction develops and unfolds. Hey, we're all going to go to the Lego store or... Yes, we're going to go do that favorite activity, weather permitting, whatever it is. That can hike up the
1: little Mount Philo. <laughs>
0: be part of a mental map or roadmap that's going to help kids of any age navigate the entire experience. Another key moment in any visit is going to be the meals, the time that you spend eating together. And maybe that's the the breakfast, the lunch, or the dinner, but talking ahead about what people do, what the expectations are, and... Being prepared so that you've got the foods that you like. We talked about that already. But also that people are prepared for whatever the social expectations. Maybe dinner at grandparents' house is a more formal affair. Maybe it's a less formal affair. Maybe there's so many people that are going to be there, you're not going to be eating at the table. You're going to be eating in smaller groups, maybe even in the living room with that food on on a plate, on the coffee table or in your lap. Yeah. There doesn't have to be a set rule to how it's done, but making sure that kids have the tools that they need to navigate that experience, whatever it looks like, is an important part of the preparation.
1: I remember really well not always loving the food my grandmother would cook. She sometimes went out of the box into what, from what was, you know, quote unquote normal in my kitchen growing up. And I can remember specifically a lasagna that was like a chicken and carrot lasagna that just was way too outer space for me as a like five or seven year old. And it was that moment where I really understood being our grandmother's house that – it didn't matter if I liked it or not that was the food for the night and so it was a whole different kind of set of expectations and even little things like we weren't allowed to say hey granny we had to say hello granny or we weren't allowed to say yeah we had to say yes and so there was almost this whole other culture that we learned at grandma's house that was really important to obey and you had to make your bed in the morning and you had to do this and it was also like a really fun, cool experience to go down there and we always loved it but it did come with a different set of rules and I think knowing your child well is good, but also knowing that your child is capable of adjustment is good, too. And I worry about the parents who then get into big fights with grandma about the, the rule and the this and the that. And remember that you're you're trying to have a good time with everybody here, That and it's only a couple days. And, like, you, your kids, and grandma will all survive it.
0: <laughs> having that favorite snack in the backpack, having that case. favorite <laughs> book in the backpack can really help. Yeah. Figuring out what your expectations are so that you also know it's okay to take a nap time in the afternoon. Yep. And that nap time can just be some solo time in a room with a book that is a favorite book or a designated amount of screen time where you can catch up on those Fortnite YouTube videos if that's your <laughs> <Bing>. nephew's
1: <laughs> totally. favorite thing to do. Yeah, yeah. You have a good one listed next in your list that I had not thought about when we talked about houseguest visits, and that's meltdowns. And it's not even just the possibility, it's when the meltdown comes. Uh, father who has experienced fatherhood, tell me about this.
0: <laughs> whether it's excitement that leads to I I don't want to go to bed right now, or enough of a disruption in usual meals and naps, or whether it's a teenager who's just missing their friends and some of the things that they wish they were doing. The meltdown can look like different things. It can come in different forms. This isn't so much an advice for kids as an advice for parents, which is just be prepared. Have that mental preparation so that it doesn't catch you off guard. Have a couple of tools in your toolbox so that that meltdown that one person is having doesn't become the experience It's the defining experience for everybody. And sometimes it's easier and sometimes it's harder to take that meltdown and put it in a private space or give it the time that it needs to play out or figure out how to address it. Sometimes we're talking apartments, we're talking shared spaces, hotel rooms, condos, where We're pretty much right on top of each other. And that's going to be something everybody's dealing with. But if it doesn't have to be, figuring out a way to minimize the impact on everybody, I think is an important courtesy and something to think about as a guest.
1: And also bear in mind that the people around you love you and support you and probably understand what it's like to deal with a melting down child. And the more that I think that parents can... Uh, without just then ignoring their child's meltdown, the more that they can minimize the pressure that they feel that it's happening, the better. Kids have meltdowns. Like, we adults have meltdowns, okay? Like, we've had plenty of adult meltdowns at our family gatherings, too. So it's one of those things where give the permission for just, okay, this is what we're dealing with now.
0: Finally, I'm thinking about saying goodbye and following up. Okay. And I think parting is so important in the same way that the arrival is important and really sets the tone for a visit. In a lot of ways, the parting will put a bow on things and start to put a box or a package around that experience that is a big part of how it's remembered when you're both driving home, but also when you're thinking back on it days, weeks, months, even years later. So saying goodbye, thanking people for having you, acknowledging them, telling them how much you enjoyed the experience or the time or the effort that they put into hosting you is something that's really important. And then a follow-up when you get home so that you have a chance to restate that. And it might look like a thank you note. It might just be a call when you get home that says thank you so much. It might even be a text, whatever the communication medium is that the relationship happens in whatever feels personal whatever feels like it's connecting you with someone i think is a good option and from the etiquette advice giver perspective the power and the impact that that handwritten note if you do take the time to do it when it lands a few days later has is hard to overstate we hope this helps as you're planning your next visit with family and friends
2: Everywhere you go, your manners are with you, and they leave their mark. They help you feel sure of yourself, too, and they make an impression on people, on everyone you meet. Well, you take it from here.
1: We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. And today, we have a salute to the Disney Cruise staff.
2: Hi, this is Megan. I just wanted to leave an etiquette salute. It's way overdue for a Disney cruise that we went on last summer with my son and my husband went with me. And... I know that Disney is known for their good service, uh, but I was really blown away. It was our first time, our first experience with Disney. It was so much fun, and everyone was so polite on the ship. There was a lifeguard in particular that was really helpful with my three-year-old son. He was afraid to go down one of the water slides, and he had made it all the way up to the top of the line and then kind of chickened out. And so in order to get him to go down the slide and stop holding up the line. The lifeguard walked all the way up the stairs to the top of the slide, and she told him that she was going to leave a little turtle at the end of the slide for him um, if he made it all the way down to the bottom. And so she had this little plastic toy turtle, and that's what she did. She put it at the bottom of the slide, and um, that gave him enough courage to go down the slide. And he ended up loving it and went back up the slide like 20 more times after that. So that was really nice. And we also had a great uh, stateroom host. And I was just really blown away by the courtesy of everyone on that ship. So I wanted to give them a big salute.
1: How incredibly satisfying is it when you go on a vacation, you've put all this money into it, and just everything about the, the- People who are making this happen on this ship is, is remarkably kind and good and thoughtful and courteous. I can feel myself wanting to salute experiences like this because they do make things more meaningful.
0: And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. Please connect with us and share the show with your family and coworkers on social media. You know where you connect with more family and friends and sometimes coworkers? You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message or text at 802 858 Kind. That's 802 858 5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post.
1: And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E.
0: On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can subscribe to an ads version of our show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. It helps with our show ranking. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and is... Assistant produced by Bridget Dowd.
1: Thanks Chris, Chris and Bridget. Bridget.